Hi. Uh, our book is Dark Knocked. Uh, our book is Night by Ellie Wiseau. And our podcast name is Dark Knocked, period six. Steven is the group leader. I am the interviewer and divisor, and I'm Dylan. I'm Wanji. I'm the page manager. I'm Owen, and I'm the historian. I'm Kaylee, and I'm the real lifer. And this book, we are five teens reading the book, Night by Ellie Weasel, and discussing our thoughts on the topic. And welcome to Podcast 2. So our first topic for the day is his evolving relationship with his father. So one example of his relationship with uh, his father is when he uh, when he actually starts to change an idea that he won't protect his father anymore like he used to. When people would beat him and stuff, he used to protect him, and now he stopped doing that. At the really beginning of the story, you like you like he's like being really nice and trying to be close as possible with his dad. But like towards the end of the story, he kind of give up because he there's no way of trying. An example of this is in the book when it uh, states that, uh, here, let me pull it up. Uh, unfortunately, Frank knew how to handle this. He knew my weak spot. My father had never served in the military and could not mark him a step. So he, people know that he's very close to his father, which makes it hard for him to push away from him because he has to push away. Well, he's going to get hurt, and his father's going to get hurt. He's going to get hurt emotionally, but his father gets hurt physically. We can also see that there is a clear change when we go through the pages of how, in the beginning, that was his main focus. But as we keep moving through the book, um, the relationship with his father kind of goes up and down during his stressful times and... Um, all the struggles that they have to go through together. An example of this is during the bombing part when they were bombing the factories. He did, he's, he only thought about his father one time. And the whole other time he was focusing on other stuff. He, he only thought about his father like when at, very, at the very beginning when it started and hoped that he would survive. But that was really it. He wasn't freaked out. But at the beginning, if that happened, he would probably be like trying to get over there or trying as hard as he could to make sure he was okay. Well, you saw what happened. I mean, in the book, the one person who left ended up getting killed. So it would have been foolish for him to leave anyway. What I mean is, like, he, he instead of, like, not, like, running out, but trying to, like, make sure and find out that if his father is okay. But instead, he just sat there watching and just sitting there with all the other inmates on his bunk. Yeah, his father was in a different building. There was would have been no way to protect him or get any information until it was over. But I actually agree with what he said because, I mean, um, in the beginning, that relationship, 
I mean, his emotions could have taken over. And I mean, you can do so many things when you're kind of listening to your emotions instead of thinking with your head. So I think, yeah, if that would have happened in the beginning of the book, um, he probably would have done something reckless like that. But we can see as we moved on in the book, um, obviously he didn't do that. This could also get him really caught. And that's like, I agree with him where he, uh, where he probably would have done that beforehand because uh, he doesn't know how these people think. And how these people think are, if you go, if you are going to go against us, we will kill you. And he didn't really understand it until the first few, first few uh, moments there that he realizes that, and then he has to act properly. I still think his father is the center point of his life. It's just he starts thinking about what he's doing before he actually goes and does it because b taking reckless actions can just put his father in more risk. What we're saying is like, yes, that like, I mean, now, now, now at this time in the book, yes, he would definitely think that way. And that's how he thinks. But beforehand, before he was even here, he would have been right, right. looking for it. Yeah. And he would have been looking and trying to find him. Right. Yes. It's just very, and then and then he goes and blames his father for things that happened to him, uh, such as when uh, Ayak uh, was hurt, uh, was hitting him and uh, hurting him, and uh, he said, "One, uh, uh, I'd watch it all happening without movement, moving. I kept silent. In fact, I thought of stealing away in order not to suffer the blows. What's more." If I felt anger at that moment, it was not directed at the capo, but at my father. Why couldn't he have avoided Idex's wrath? And, like, it just shows that he now shows anger towards his father for these types of situations happening. I mean, he can't just blame a single person for it happening. I also think that the book kind of demonstrated, like, the kind of person that he was. Um, I know a lot of people kind of think that um, it's stereotypical for men to be like the strong image. So I wonder if that had anything to do with his relationship with his father, if he wanted to seem strong. Because when I was reading the book, I didn't really see any moments um, where he kind of broke down. But there were, I feel like he was trying to be strong and put up a, like a strong wall just so he could be supportive and help his dad. But I, Obviously, when he does get enraged, um, we can see he kind of let those bottled emotions kind of explode. It kind of makes you question, like, going on what you were saying, about if this happens in the women's concentration camps and how everything works there. Are they just making uh, materials and making stuff, or are they actually doing hard labor and throwing the women's bodies into the fire? Like, it just makes you wonder what's happening in that area, as opposed to the men's. I don't think there was a women's one, because, like, mostly women and children and elderly just, like, get sent to the gas chamber and die. Because, like, men's are stronger, they're more useful. So I think we should get on to our next topic.
All right. Um, so our next topic is the dehumanization of the prisoners and his feelings around it. I'll start off by just um, saying like kind of the basics of it. Um, like the number system that they're assigned kind of dehumanizes them by removing like an important factor of their lives, which is their name and their identity. And then also like how happiness and a sense of freedom um, is removed and everything they do is not really their own choice, but instead a way and a means of surviving as long as they can. Also, like an example of that in the book is like one day, we had just returned from the warehouse. I was summoned by the block secure, uh, uh, secretary, A-7713, that's me. And uh, it's very interesting how uh, that they are now called this as opposed to their names or anything. And uh, it could be somewhat of the military, of the Germans just wanting an easy way to identify people. But it's also very dehumanizing, as uh, as Owen said, about uh, it's dehumanizing to uh, how you feel. Like, uh, I know I would much rather be called a name than a number. But and that makes me kind of annoyed that they're just called numbers and they're acting as if they're like cattle where they have numbers on them, like like attached to them, like uh, uh, like uh, when a cattle is uh, given to a farm, like in the 1800s, they used to brand the cattle where they burn on a signature logo for each ranch. And it's kind of like that, where they gave each uh, Jew a tattoo to note, signal that they're one of theirs. I think the numbers example in specific is more the Germans trying to feel better for just commanding actual people into pits of fire and doing horrible things. It's not to dehumanize them more than it is to disassociate them in the eyes of the Germans. I think on that, it, it, it helps the Germans, but instead it dehumanizes the Jewish people from their standpoint. Because the Germans might be like, oh, it's easier just to say numbers, and it might be a better system for them. But for the prisoners themselves, it seems like dehumanizing. Yeah. And then also, with the numbers, they're basically saying like, you're the Germans' property, and you must do whatever they say. Yeah, I think it's like a, a double-edged sword where one people see it one way and one people see it another. One, the Germans see it as if we can have them all in a number system where we can identify them easily, and we both understand. Because some people, you know, were from, like, Poland and didn't understand German, and others were from other countries. And didn't understand German. So if they and numbers were well, one thing that they all like could understand is if you if you say uh, certain numbers, that's like one like the first thing you learn if you're learning a new language is the numbers. And so if they were to call you by numbers, it was easier for Germans. But like the Jews felt the other way, where they felt as if they were just cattle and being branded. In dehumanization, it also treats people badly. It, it treats them more like animals instead of people. 
instead. And they were they were living in like really bad situations. And and they were worked to death. We can also see that there's a point of time where there's just acceptance. Where I feel like a lot of us, if we were to think if we were in that situation, we would kind of fight for that. Um, I feel like a lot of the people kind of just um, processed what they were going through and just realized that that was what was going to happen and the way it was going to be for the time that they were in the camp. I think more on the acceptance point, it is just the stages of grief. You have anger and bargaining. At the very end, is acceptance. They lose everything and they just go through the stages really quickly until they reach the acceptance. I agree with that. Um, a lot of the... Everything we can see happened so fast and they weren't really given time to kind of cope with what they were going through. So it kind of feels like they were jumping around that those stages. And so, yeah. I think that their acceptance is basically them like signing away their humanity once and for all in this case. And they they accept that there's nothing left for them to do. And it's also kind of sad how they have to accept how they're going to live from now on and how they are going to feel and how they're going to act. Like, he acts differently, well, in the concentration camp, obviously, from other other times in his life. But it just changed his mindset and how he acts. Like, um, my uncle, who was in a concentration camp and escaped, he had a different mindset in that. He would eat super fast. He would, uh, when we were, when we would have a meal, he would always eat much faster and, uh, uh, than everyone else and finish with much more time because that's what they were taught is to eat very fast or else you lose everything. And this kind of brings us into our next point. Uh, so our next point for today is how their experiences here would affect their future selves. Uh, to point out to what Dylan says last, uh, it's kind of like what he says, because like if you're in a camp for a really long time, you have to adapt to what you have to do every day, like eating really fast work really hard and be just working on and on and then when you like when you get used to it you just like you adapt to it and if you ever get out of camp you will probably just be like that forever and be traumatized an interesting fact is when the ally forces actually liberated the camps, they couldn't like eat a lot of food. They had to eat very, very small rations. And it, it happened for like a few years. They would have to keep going a little bit bigger at a time because their stomachs grown so small that they couldn't handle large quantities of food anymore. And people that like lived there for like four years, like during the whole duration of the war, 
it probably was harder for them to tra um, transition back to normal life versus people that might have been there for like a year or like a few months. That's why like they look so different in our eyes because like they their bodies had to adapt to the situation or else they would die. And so some of them could adapt very well where their uh, stomach shrunk and, and their body stopped using a lot of energy because they wouldn't gain a lot, which made it very interesting for like uh, the people liberate, as Owen said, people liberating the camp because they, they, they've never seen something like this. And the interesting thing is like it, when they look back upon it, they never even uh, knew that concentration camps were happening until they broke open them and saw what was happening inside them. And I also think as for the people that were trying to help, um, I wonder if they thought during that time, like, why aren't they eating as much? But I remember from health class, I don't know how into depth you guys went in, but I remember when they mentioned, um, anorexia a lot of the things that people um tried forcing others to do was to eat large rations but as someone that was used to eating small portions and we can also see that it wasn't solid food all the time the only solid food they had was bread so during that time your body kind of adjusts to what you're eating so the they couldn't really feed them something like steak you know, it had to be something that their body slowly could go on to solid foods. Yeah, they couldn't have, like, high protein and stuff because probably the food they were giving was, like, uh, really bad, like, nutritionally, which probably led to a lot of the deaths because they were being overworked and they had no nutrition or anything. They probably, like, starved or, like, their bones started to decay and get, like, really weak. And that's probably what happened to a lot of the prisoners there. This also made them very vulnerable to uh, like diseases and stuff because they couldn't handle uh, other things like uh, uh, like uh, diseases like the flu or some stuff like that because their body's uh, immune system was already compromised trying to do overload with uh, with the small rations. But like this is kind of off topic. So uh, basically, like. When you look at the future, when they look, when they, how this affects them in the future really is that, uh, there's one scene where he talks to this one girl from the, from the concentration camp that was in his like division, in his commando, and they, they recognize each other. It's interesting how he can, he recognizes people's faces from that era that like, if, if it wasn't that kind of time they're in, or that place they're in, they wouldn't recognize each other. I feel like he recognized her because of she was in his mind because she helped him out when he was really down and needed help. And I guess that implemented a thing in his mind, but also stuff that could have been implemented in the prisoners' minds are the bad things, which could have led to PTSD and other mental illnesses that can bring back the memories and can cause really bad um, conditions to the prisoners in their future. Well, I think this is it for our podcast, and we'll see you next time.